Shameless Media. This episode of the Shameless Book Club is brought to you by Bailey's Irish Cream Liqueur, inspiring indulgence through me time moments. Welcome to our January book review episode. Our first pick of the year was Tom Lake by Anne Patchett, a meditation on youthful love, married love, and the lives parents have led before their children were born. In the spring of 2020, Lara's three daughters returned to the family's orchard in northern Michigan. While picking cherries, they beg their mother to tell them the story of Peter Duke, a famous actor with whom she shared both a stage and a romance years before at a theatre company called Tom Lake. As Lara recalls the past, her daughters examine their own lives and relationship with their mother and are forced to reconsider the world and everything they thought they knew. My name is Michelle Andrews. I am joined today by my co-host of Shameless Podcast, Zara McDonald. Hello, Zara. Hello, hello. And the host of Stranger Than Fiction, Eilish Gilligan. Hi. Hi. Guys. Guys, I, I mean, we have a rule at Shameless Media. We must not discuss the book too much before we get behind microphones. This might be a month where we tested that rule slightly. Eilish that pushed. Was me. I pushed so many times. <laughs> I already know that we all have different opinions when it comes to Tom Blake. I cannot wait to hear our different reviews, but before we get there, we need to give a bit of background on the author Anne Patchett. Sarah McDonald, take us away. Alrighty. Anne Patchett is an author's author. I mean, she's written a lot of stuff. <laughs> she is award-winning. She's 60. She's from Nashville, Tennessee. She actually got her start at 17 Magazine, before writing for the likes of The New Yorker and The New York Times. And since moving into fiction, lots of her work centres around the idea of family. A lot of her essays, a lot of her short stories, Mm. everything you ever read about Anne Patchett is about how she writes about the dynamics of family. Yeah. Mm. She also got a divorce really young in her 20s. It sounded like she had a very quick first marriage. Mm. And I found that interesting, that kind of through line and parallel between maybe having this very explosive, rich love early on in life and then settling down with someone else. She's been with her husband, her second husband, forever, it Mm. sounds like. That's interesting considering the subject matter of this book. Mm. Eilish, what else do we know about Anne Patchett? So Anne Patchett's fourth novel, the hostage drama Bel Canto, propelled her to literary fame in 2001 and actually won the Women's Prize for Fiction. And Tom Lake is her ninth novel. Yeah, it's so interesting. I actually haven't read Anne Patchett before this. I don't know if you guys have, have you? No, no. never. It's quite a I've unique never heard of Anne Patchett. Style. Well, mm. I'd heard of The Dutch House, okay. which was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize in 2020, but I haven't read it and it does make me want to read that book. <laughs> I know you guys may not feel the same. Oh, mm. I don't look, I don't think Eilish is going to be reading The Dutch House. I I could if you loved it, I would say. Tom Lake though, let's quickly focus on this book because it has been adored by critics and readers alike. It was published in August 2023. It ha- already has. I found this astounding. 170,000 ratings on Goodreads. Mm. It had over 20,000 written reviews. It had an average star rating of 4.1 out of 5, which is just like... It's really high. In the space of... It's only been out for four or five months and it's already achieved that. It's Mm. just insane. That said, 
Like all loved things, there are the people who don't quite get the hype. One of the most liked reviews on Goodreads for Tom Lake reads, Life is too short for a book this boring. (laughs) (laughs) Which brings me to Eilish, let's move on to characters. Tell me. Take us away. (laughs) I've written like an essay here in notes. Okay, so Lara. Lara is our main character. I admit this is a personal thing and I I feel like I have a very strange relationship with this book because I feel like it has almost like personally wronged me because I didn't enjoy it so much. I feel that me and Lara, if we met in real life, would not be friends because I feel like we're polar opposite people. I found her lack of drive really annoying. Like when she says she can't play any other part except for Emily, but... Like, she didn't even try? To me, I, I really, really liked Do you agree? I thought Laura and I would be, like, best friends. Like, she tried to do the other part. She just wasn't good at and it. And also lacked ambition. I don't... Why am I now getting... I, <laughs> I don't think she ever wanted to be an actress. I think she just fell into it but didn't have ambition for the things she just fell into. She had ambition to have the life she dreamed of, but I felt like she always dreamed of having kids. But what life did she dream of? Just a quiet one, maybe? To be fair, like, when she got into this acting and being Emily, she was, like, 17, like, super Mm. young. So I understand, like, you may not know which direction you want to go in life, but I don't think it's quite right to say that she always dreamed of having the cherry orchard. No, she didn't. Because, right. And having a family because no. she didn't. She had no dreams. She yeah, had no. no dreams to be an actress. She had no dreams to have a family. <laughs> I didn't know anything about what her actual desires were. Oh, you're making very sound points. Irish. <laughs> I just quite warm to her. I don't know. I found Lara as a protagonist to be quite layered. I found her really enjoyable to read. I loved that she made messy decisions. I felt mm. like often her decisions were sound, but they weren't always, which read is so real to me. Like when she slept with her best friend's boyfriend as a teenager. Yeah, completely. When she then had sex with Duke, I know I'm really fast forwarding to the end of the book, had sex with Duke in the bathroom at the facility he was in. Like the choices she made didn't always add up, but I really liked that about her. And I also liked that she really valued privacy and maybe like keeping things to herself. I just found different elements of Lara to be really, is bewitching the word? Mm. Uh, I don't even know what bewitching means. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with you. I think I found, I liked her without like falling in love with her. I found her Mm. quite interesting, but I think maybe that was the point because she seemed like the kind of character that kept a lot of people at arm's length. Like, Mm. as you say, Miss, she kept a lot to herself. She did seem kind of hard to crack. Like I couldn't see this fully formed character in my head. I could see 80% of her, but I don't think I got to 100. And I do also wonder as I was kind of sitting with this, if it was my own bias that came into play and that got in the way in a sense that I couldn't recognize the young Lara and the old Lara. I couldn't reconcile those characters and I couldn't work out if that was a failure of me or the book. Well, this is fascinating. I listened to the audiobook for the most part, probably 70% audiobook, and it's definitely what got me into this. And then I picked up the paper book when I needed to kind of pick up the pace and slam this before this <laughs> recording. Maybe Meryl Streep just delivered this really well. I never once doubted that it was the same. Like the through right. line of Lara's character, that never occurred to me. I felt like she was fully fleshed out. I really understood who she was Hmm. and I wonder if that was Meryl Streep's delivery because she acted. Meryl Streep brought her A-game for this audiobook. (laughs) It was a performance and I wonder if that was the audiobook experience more than the print version. Maybe it was. I think also with 
not being able to reconcile this past Lara with present Lara, I kind of think maybe that was kind of the point because her daughters seem to be grappling with that as well. Yeah, true. You know? And I guess that's what we go through with our parents generally, right? Mm. Like imagining our parents as young people is like weirdly confronting. Like mm. you just, I kind of always expect my mum to have always been about 45, mm. even though she's 60 <laughs> now. Like I just consider her in that realm forever. So maybe you're right. I'd love to talk about Joe. Oh, please. Because I did really love Joe. I wasn't expecting to love him so much. He was such a quiet achiever of a character, a slow burn. He was clearly self-assured and I loved that. The only thing was I wrote all this down. I had all these like deep thoughts about how much I love Joe. And then I had this like one sort of like alarm bell in my brain. And that was about 10 minutes before we walked in here. Was he too passive? Like, did we want him to be a bit more like, hey, Lara, I love you. Stop talking about this other guy. I think, again, like, Joe, I didn't understand the direction of the narrative. I didn't understand why Joe was the director and then all of a sudden he was the orchard Joe. Because of his uncle and auntie. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Was it a revelation before we move on from that point? Was the fact that Nelson and Joe were the same person, was that a revelation for us? Yes. Same? I heard that in the audiobook and I was like, Meryl. Eilish is just pursing her lips right now. You saw that coming. I didn't see it coming. I didn't just care. Didn't care. <laughs> yeah, slightly lazy, but but it worked on me. I will say, Joe as a character, I found his presence comforting. Mm. I could picture him perhaps maybe more than any of the other characters. And I thought he was a really lovely character. But again, what do we know about him? For a, for a book that's essentially a character study, what do we know about the characters? Mm. I would love to know. <laughs> oh, Eilish, great question. I don't know. I just kind of thought that was the point. I don't yeah. know. With Joe, I kind of liked that he was like this dad in service almost, like mm. this guy whose job it was to kind of put others before himself in a sense that like he kind of gave up his career to look after the orchard. He was kind of looking after his family and I feel so often with these narratives we hear women do that. Like I, I couldn't really mm. make sense of who he was beyond him serving other people mm. and I only read that about women and so I did really like that and I re- I liked the kind of flip on this that it was Lara's character who we got to know and I didn't see her as a mother first and foremost no. and she wasn't painted as a mother pers- first and foremost. She was painted primarily as this very complicated woman who had this storied history and I liked the flip on that. I loved that too. I also felt like Joe was so accurate. I'm quite close to a family who live in a rural area on a farm and Joe was just so reminiscent of the men who work on that farm to me. Like the sacrifice and the kind of attitude you have to have and your disposition, Mm. it just felt so real. I was like, I believe believe that he's running this farm and I believe that he can't really take an hour out. I just thought his character was brilliantly done. Can I talk about three characters who were not well done? The girls. The girls. Horrendously done. The daughters. I was like, these daughters are like they're living in 1955. They They were all just mushed into one. (laughs) As well, as much as I think Meryl Streep was a revelation, I would would give her. Michelle's just (laughs) discovered Meryl Streep. (laughs) No, guys, the audiobook. Her voices for the girls, like comical. Oh, she, she did voices gave, for the girls. She gave a voice to everyone. And her voice for Maisie in particular, <laughs> it was like this gravelly but shrill voice where I was like, this is comical. Every time Maisie spoke, she what? was the one with the little dog, right? Yeah. I think. I was like, I cannot stand these girls. Some of the stuff they would cry about or like the conversations they'd have, I'm like, this is not young women. I know young women, mm. at least I know young women in Melbourne in particular. 
maybe young women in northern Michigan are different. But the conversations that have, the way they would speak, their problems, I'm like, this feels like young women in 1970 or earlier. Mm. I agree with that. I also thought like Emily was a bit weird. Oh, <laughs> what do you mean she still thought Duke was her father? 100%. Honey, get over it. The Duke is not your dad. Also, You're 26. How fucking harsh to your own dad. Like what an <laughs> awful thing to do and to hold on to and to be so obsessive about this that you wouldn't care how this would affect your mother or your dad and to still be so tied to it. Also like her being just like a really shitty teenager. Yeah. I was like, oh, I don't really like. I, I knew a lot of us weren't great teenagers, but that was pretty bad. And also that there was like not enough character development. It was kind of explained that, oh, when she was a teenager, she thought Peter Duke was her dad. I'm like, okay, strange. But then for her not to be at a place in her mid to late 20s where she could even hear a bad thing about Duke, like the details about Duke's affair had oh, to yeah. be told when Emily wasn't in the room. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, Emily's 26. It's crazy. What did you think, Eilish? I mean, pretty much for the girls, I thought the same thing that I did for all the other characters, <laughs> and that was that they were really <laughs> underdeveloped, and I had no idea. I didn't know them beyond their jobs yeah. and beyond Lara's like projections of what she felt her daughters to be onto them. I don't know if that was like part of the reading experience and part of Lara's character that I was supposed to soak up, but the fact that she was like... She cannot let Emily's adolescence go. Like, Mm. this girl's 26, right? She's about to get married. And her mum keeps going on and on about how much of a terror she was when she was a teenager, Mm. which was like a decade ago. But I reckon she was still a bit of a terror. I don't think so. Were you confused by, like, the earth-shattering drama around Emily saying she might not want kids? Because then it was like, what? whatever will happen to the farm? I'm like, but you guys were the nephew and his partner who took Mm. over the farm. Is it really this cataclysm? like staring off into the hills and also you'll be dead and the so beach day they're like we must go to the beach I was like <laughs> just a little bit am I supposed I, to feel more about this and the kids thing was interesting because I want to word this carefully I just felt like the kids thing around climate change it's not that our generation is not not talking about that right and it's not that people aren't concerned about it mm. but it felt like just it lacked a little bit of nuance for them all to be like well we can't have kids because I don't believe that that's how these conversations are playing out no Unless I agree I'm, what do you guys think? It felt too simplistic to yeah. me. I think these conversations are happening, but I think once again, completely out of the blue, out of nowhere, has she introduced <laughs> this concept of like Emily not wanting kids because of climate change? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it felt like well, a tick. That sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> that's what the kids are saying. Yeah, that's what the kids are saying and it's these just days. Like, not uh, close, but no cigar. It's a bit unfair because I feel like we get so much of Lara's feelings about how she, oh, she's not going to get a grandchild and like, oh, who's going to look after the farm? And Joe has to go deal with that because it's so confronting. Eilish hating Lara. (laughs) (laughs) But we get no indication. Like Emily's clearly, she says in the book, she's like, I actually don't know if I want children or not, but I'm not going to have them. That seems to me like a major thing that we should hear about and know about and understand why she feels (laughs) that way. But we get nothing. We get nothing about it. I honestly didn't know these girls apart from their jobs. As yeah. you said, yeah, if, the they, vet, didn't, the if they didn't have the world, like the most different jobs, I would yeah. have had no idea. They were a blob. Who they 
they are. Yeah. And also all three kind of had the same thing. They're like, oh, yeah, all of us feel that way. I'm like, that also doesn't feel. I I don't know. Like so much of it, that part felt like she had gone back into the book. Anne Patchett, I'm talking about, had gone back into the book and just chucked that in because she's like, oh, these young people don't feel young enough. What's young in 2020? Like, what does that mean? Climate change. I'll chuck this thing in as a spanner. Mm, That's how I definitely felt. Let's talk about Peter Duke and also Sebastian on the side, I think, because they kind of ran in parallel together for me. Peter Duke definitely felt like a caricature, but maybe that's the whole point. Because like, Mm. if you're reminiscing about this guy that you once dated, who's now a movie star, maybe you'd like caricature him yourself. Yeah, I agree. I actually have no notes on Peter Duke. I was like, oh, movie star who sleeps around, didn't really get a whole lot of insight. I wish he was hotter. Yeah, yeah, it sounded like he was quirky looking. Yeah, (laughs) I wanted him to be like Brad Pitt hot, not like Brad Pitt personality. Because when she was saying, essentially, this is one of the most famous people of his time, I was trying to think, being like, who are the semi-clunky looking people who are the most famous? Like, normally they are the beautiful. Yeah. I think my problem with him again is that she was telling us, oh, he's he's the most famous person ever. And it's like, okay, show me that. Yeah. Like, I got no indication again the level at which Peter Duke was working. And this is meant to be this amazing love affair, this, like, wild story that the girls just can't get enough of. And she's, number one, she's redacting all the sex for her daughters. Oh, Eilish, so, thank you for bringing this up. So what's the story? I was so excited for the sex when I was like, oh, my God, we're going to have a movie star <laughs> love affair. I was like, give me the sex then. And then she'd be like, anyway, my daughters are listening, so I must move on to the cherry orchard. I'm like, no. It's like, Why is it so G? This was G rated. I, I get it. Like, did you I see understand. the cover? <laughs> it's like a floral cover. I know, but Zara, if we're saying that she fucked a guy in a bathroom and all we get is like, so I took off my tights and then we did it. I'm like, oh. She didn't even tell them that. Yeah, I know. She rejected that. What's the story that these girls can't get enough of? God, it must be boring picking cherries. Seriously. (laughs) But like, I believe believe that to be true. And also, I would want my mum to not tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, like, that's real, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. no shit. What about Sebastian? Because the only note I have on Sebastian is that I did feel it was a tiny bit weird that his brother ran away with his girlfriend and they still made up pretty soon after. (laughs) Is that because Duke was, like, payrolling his life? I think it was. Or bankrolling, yeah. That's the one kind of scepticism I had about Sebastian is that, you know, Duke kind of walked all over him. And especially when it came to, you know, him and Palace's relationship. And yet when Duke won that Oscar and they noted that like the first person he thanked was Sebastian. And I was like, oh, so he still wanted to stay in this orbit when he got really famous. Mm. I don't know if that's too cynical of me, but that was like a bit of a red mark against him. Yeah, I liked St. Sebastian, but there were just, again, bits I didn't believe. I needed more fleshing out as to how he took his brother back, like you said, Zara. But also the fact that he just rocks up to the cherry orchard in the final like 10 <laughs> pages and then the girl opens the door it's just like Sebastian Duke like that's just mm. not happening well we don't know <laughs> <laughs> guys we're going to go to an ad break but after we hear a word from our sponsor I want to hear your strengths and your weaknesses <laughs> <I was> just... <laughs> <laughs> guys as you now know we have almost weekly episodes dropping in your feed for the Shameless Book Club in 2024. It has been the most exciting time for the team. Yeah, such an exciting time, but of course busy as well. So I'm happy that today's sponsor, Bailey's Irish Cream Liqueur, is here to remind us to take those moments of me time for ourselves. Yeah, Bailey's is so versatile. You can join it in a recipe or on its own. I personally have been loving Bailey's over ice. It's the perfect adult treat when the sun is beaming down in Melbourne. That is so good. I have 
really been enjoying a bit of Baileys in my French toast. I coat the toast with a little Baileys before frying it up and it's just heavenly. I am such a huge fan of French toast and I actually think it doesn't get nearly enough recognition. Mm-hmm. The addition of Baileys in French toast brings an exciting twist to the classic dish. It is the ultimate indulgent adult brunch. That sounds divine. The team at Baileys have crafted some of the most delicious recipes and this one really does sound like a treat. If you're over 18 and looking for an indulgent treat, then head online or in store to your liquor retailer and shop Baileys. Remember to drink responsibly. Thank you so much to Baileys for making this episode of the Shameless Book Club possible. Uh, Zara, we'll start with you. Yeah. I don't think Eilish has many. I do. I have some oh, positives. Okay, I do. Zara, you're dumped. Eilish, please. <laughs> Eilish, take it away. Eilish, give us a strength. Okay, so when and I, it can't be laced with a little bit of wetness. It's at the not. End. It's actually not. Oh, it's great. actually not. So when I first started reading this book, I had no idea what to expect. Never heard of Anne Patchett before. I started reading it, and I was so struck by how pretty the writing was. Mm. Like it was beautiful at times. So I marked this paragraph down because I felt like it was such a beautiful reflection of the very simple relationship between Maisie and her rescue dog. Quote, I look down from the hill until I can see Emily in her green Michigan state cap and a minute later I see Maisie and Nell walking out to the barn. Hazel picks up the distant scent of Maisie on the breeze and darts off to thank her again for her life. I loved that line so much. I marked it in my book because I was like, Anne Patchett can describe something so deep and meaningful about a person and her relationship to this animal mm. so easily in this sentence. Like, I know everything I need to know about Maisie and Hazel and their love or whatever in this tiny little sentence. And it's so beautiful. And I loved it. And I'll be thinking about that for a long time. So her writing is gorgeous. I agree. I, for the first time in my life, I Googled uh, Michigan Cherry Orchard and was like, would I want to see that? Maybe I would. It sounded stunning. Yeah, 100%. There was this beautiful kind of review in The Guardian of this book that said the key to Patchett's appeal, both in essays and novels, is her very particular tone. Decent, steady, unthreatening, with a low hum of intelligence that is somehow rooted in the old-fashioned, friendly, but steely American decorum that spawned Louisa May Alcott and indeed Tom Hanks. Mm, I was like, damn, wish I wrote that because that's so bang on to me. I also wonder if it helps here that I liked this book because I like period dramas, just generally. Mm. Old oh, things you've hit the that are kind head. of like a little bit surfacey and I don't quaint. know. You that, love, yeah, quaint. Yeah, quaint. Well, like humdrum of life when not a lot happens. I actually mm. quite like that content and I do wonder if you like period dramas, if you're more inclined to like this book because it's slow. Yeah. And it's like kind of old-fashioned. It feels like it wasn't written in 2020 or whatever mm. it was meant to be. It doesn't feel of its time at all. No, but I didn't mind that. You had read this before I had because I always leave these book readings to the last minute. You're like, you'll like it. It's pretty. It is pretty, but it's a little slow. And I think that's the perfect way to word it. I think I did enjoy I'm so torn with what the hell I'm going to give this book. Yeah. Because honestly, if we hadn't picked it for book club, I don't think I would have finished it. Even though Meryl Streep was giving it her all, (laughs) I found parts so fucking dry. I was like, I am desperate for just some juice. And, you know, different parts were juicy. I loved reading about her getting that movie role and filming that movie and stuff about her having to walk out in a bikini and little tidbits like that were thrown in to keep me going. But I don't think they would have been enough if it weren't for this book club because we have a rule that we can't DNF a book. Yeah, I if this checked is just that a hobby rule. Book, <laughs> 
if this was a hobby book, I don't think I would have kept going. But then the writing was so pretty. It was glorious. But I need more mm. than prettiness. Like I would really prefer the page turning books I've read in the last 12 months are actually like gritty. Yeah. They're pretty. Yeah. They're not pretty. It's interesting. I know we spoke before about how we didn't love, or I particularly didn't love, like the checkbox with like the climate change. It felt like a very, I don't know, a nuanced way to look at that generation. And yet one part of the book that I really loved that kind of, I guess, illustrated the generational divide was when um, one of the daughters, fuck knows which one, one of the blobs. <laughs> the blobs. <laughs> the, um, the amoebas. <laughs> said, you can't say crazy. And mm. she's like, oh. And then when Lara is describing Palace's legs as preposterous, they're like, you can't objectify her. And she's like, oh, give it a rest. <laughs> I really liked that generational divide of like, you can't be doing this. And she's like, it's all good. Like, yeah. relax. I think the other thing I couldn't stop thinking about is I hate pandemic novels. We've spoken mm. about this lots on the book club. I hate any book that mentions the pandemic because I just find it so mind-numbingly boring. But I don't know if this book would be realistic otherwise. How else are you going to get a family stuck on a farm together? How mm. else are you going to have an appetite for your mum's long-winded story <laughs> over the course oh of a few God. weeks? Like, I don't think this story could have happened if not for being stuck together. I actually quite like pandemic books now. What? I didn't at the time. I thought at we all. Agreed no, no, no. On we that. agreed. I've backflipped. I think now I'm far enough from the pandemic that I actually do enjoy. I realized this a couple months ago with a friend. We were talking about it. I'm like, oh God, I've been so averse to this kind of story for so long. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to know about it. But now I feel like it's far enough in the past that I'm like, oh my God, that happened to us. And it was this weird time and family was such a feature of it. And we were thrown together with our partners or our sisters or whoever we lived with in that time. So I actually really loved that about this, but I think I only loved it because I read it now. Yeah. I also think there is a whole generation of parents who have or had at that time kids who had just moved out of home who actually did relish having their families yeah. back together but mm. didn't know how to articulate that because the world was in such a strange place. Mm. But that was very realistic to me. I mean, I've spoken to so many people of my parents' generation who had their kids back home and they were like, some of the happiest years I've had in a long time. Yeah. Mm. I also had another passage where I thought the writing was stunning. So I've got a strength and then maybe we can touch on weaknesses. Maybe I still though. have some strengths, but I'll mm, just... So do I, actually. I'll intersperse them wherever. Okay, great. I really loved this passage. Again, I thought her writing was stunning in parts like you did, Eilish. There is no explaining this simple truth about life. You will forget much of it. The painful things you were certain you'd never be able to let go of, now you're not entirely sure when they happened, while the thrilling parts, the heart-stopping joys, splintered and scattered and became something else. Memories are then replaced by different joys and larger sorrows, and unbelievably, those things get knocked aside as well. Mm. The writing is beautiful. You can't yeah, deny it's it. Yeah, it's beautiful. I think also what I quite liked is how Anne depicted this marriage. I, I really loved reading about the marriage. I thought it was quite beautiful, but I don't know if I was expecting that in the first quarter of the book. Like, mm. I wasn't sure if I was meant to back Joe or not. Mm. I wasn't sure oh, if I was okay. meant to like him or not, or if he was kind of this absent guy that was a workaholic. And it reminded me a lot. I recommended on Shameless a couple of weeks ago this film called Past Lives that I loved. And the director and writer of that film is a woman called Celine Song. And she did one of those Hollywood Reporter roundtables in the mm. lead up to the Oscars. And she was talking about how difficult it is to portray a good marriage 
when it's just like this really solid marriage because she was like, you know, the more someone tells me that their marriage is good, the less I believe it. So it has to often be that slow build where you're like, oh, am I sure about you? Actually, you're the quiet, decent one. This is a quiet, decent marriage. Mm. And I felt that a lot in this book that it like didn't try to shove it in my face that they had a good marriage. But by the end, I was there. And Mm. Patrick, I can't remember what the line was, but she had something towards the end of the novel that alluded to that where the girls were like, well, you haven't really told us much about dad. And it's like, well, the good stories are the ones where there are these highs and these lows and the drama. The story of our love is one that's very simple and probably not all that interesting because it's really lovely and healthy. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I felt that a lot. Any other strengths you want to bring to the table? Um, I The only thing I liked, which is kind of earnest and maybe a bit obvious, well, I thought it was obvious and then I read this New Yorker review and I was like, did I interpret this book wrong? <laughs> anyway, um, nothing more humbling than when that happens to you as well, by the way. I, I did really love the sliding doors theme of the how differently your lives can work out mm. and that the thing you think you would want is not actually the thing you want. I mean, Lara thought she wanted the big stardom and then she took that really, really simple life and it seemed quite fulfilling for her. And Duke took the big famous Hollywood route and at the end of the day wasn't happy at all. It's interesting because the New Yorker was like, is Lara really that happy or is she hiding inside the myth of her happiness to avoid confronting her daughter's unhappiness and her own shortcomings as a parent? Oh, that (laughs) reminds me of a VCE English teacher being like, like, let's find meaning everywhere. I didn't get that at all. I thought she actually, she may not be the happiest person on the planet, but I thought she seemed pretty content with the life that she built yeah and like definitely certain that she was she made the right there was no I didn't get this like lingering sense of regret in Lara and I really quite liked that but like the very meaningful things in life are often the simple things Mm. yes so I have one more strength and it was my favorite part in the entire book because I felt like it was so bang on and it was the time where I could see okay Anne Patchett I see you. I understand why you're such a celebrated author. It was the moment when the really bad understudy for the stage manager had to read for Uncle Wallace because he was late and how witnessing a bad performance can make you reconsider every single life choice you've ever made. (laughs) Quote, maybe I wasn't the adult who'd won the lead at an important summer stock in Michigan. Maybe I was a talentless kid who'd been hustled out of the room because I was taking up too much of the air. This was what a bad reading of the stage manager could do to a room. (laughs) That was like (laughs) another one of those sentences where it told me so much about what was happening and I loved it. And I was like, I have been in audiences where I felt that way, that (laughs) squirm of just like, oh, this is so awful. What have I done to land here? I really, really loved it. Loved that. I wish the book had more of that. <laughs> I do love your strengths, Eilish. You were like, I found two sentences I liked in this book. Yeah, here they are. And I'm going to read them to, to you for the sake of balance. I really, I, I feel so, I mean, obviously by this point, it's clear that I didn't like this book. Mm, I just, that's coming across, yeah. I feel so weird about it because I feel Like I went to Goodreads expecting people to feel similarly to the way I did about this book after reading it. But I got there and it was like, whoa, like 170,000, like five star, five star. Oh, my God. Best book I've ever read. And I feel silly. I feel like I don't get it. I feel like I've missed the point. But then I went back and I was like, but what is the point? No. Do you think we're the wrong (laughs) demo? I thought about this. Well, well, Zara quite liked it. so. And I am an old soul. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was wondering, reading no, Goodreads, I did get the impression maybe I just fall outside the demo. I think you guys are young and cool. I think, well, not necessarily cool, but I do think maybe my mum would really love this. I, I think mm. you're right. And I, yeah, I think because they would feel, um, I don't want to put words in our mother's mouths, but <laughs> maybe some level of nostalgia about their own youth and yeah. wanting to share that story. And also, I'm sorry, but to be seen as more than the woman they are now, which yeah. is what yeah. we like to do with women of that age, is put them in the box of, of who we see them as now. Totally. I did feel deeply disadvantaged reading this book because I knew so little about our town and I just wish it was explained a bit more. I yeah. the, what is this play? I thought the play was called Tom Lake because I kept missing the our town thing. And then when it was ascertained that the lake was called Tom Lake and it was the whole like little bit about how the Tom Lake thing came about, I was like, so what's the play called? I'm also confused. Was it, did it come across to you guys a couple of times that in the play, Our Town, Emily pashes her dad? Yeah. I didn't. There was a kiss, wasn't there? Did that, did you read anything about that? No, because didn't she kiss Duke? She kisses, she kisses her dad. But I thought it was a kiss on the cheek, wasn't it? No, it's when, isn't it when the Duke's playing a uh, what? <laughs> I was. I don't know. I just know I was very confused on one thing because she's like, and then Emily kisses her father, and then there was some like thing about it being incestuous or something. I thought it was just like an innocent kiss on the cheek. That's how I read that. Okay. okay. Look, it was written in 1938. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Go either way. laughs> All right. Weakness time. We're going to rattle them off. Can I start us? Yeah. This reminded me of Seventh Heaven, the TV show. Yeah, fair call. <laughs> I also loved that TV show, guys. <laughs> I, was always, I was always made to like this book. <laughs> this book was Seventh Heaven without the Christianity element. Like, it was just so unrealistically kind and sweet and saccharine. And I just couldn't read any more about... The orchard and the goats and the making apple pie and the tea towels and shit like that. I just, <laughs> by the end, I was like, get me the fuck out of Seventh Heaven rebranded. So you actually wanted to get out by the end? Well, I, but then, look, I did still look up Northern Michigan Cherry Orchard. So part of <laughs> me was like, get me here. But I felt like it was so laboured, the point that it was like, I don't know, it was too much. Something about this really put me off because it was just too much sweet stuff. Yeah, I fair. needed some sour stuff in there. Eilish, a weakness. I actually disagree that it was sweet. I, I didn't really? get sweetness from it oh at God, It was all. saccharine. It was syrupy. On the back of the copy that I have, it says that this is a hopeful story. I didn't get that at all. Duke dies. He's dead. This is not hopeful to me. The cherry orchard is hopeful. It's not, though, because of climate change. (laughs) And and also no kids to, you know, pursue the farm going (laughs) on. I think I found it hopeful for all the reasons that I've said before, which is that, like, you know, sometimes the the unglamorous lives are the happy ones. Mm. Yeah. Is that not hopeful, kind of? That and we that, feel like so she much... felt a sense of peace. I mean, that's lovely. And for then you. she had that dream. But... Did it finish with a dream? It finished with a dream, didn't it? Of her dreaming that Sebastian belonged there. Wasn't I don't it because Duke was being <laughs> buried there? Yeah, and then she went to sleep that night and St. Sebastian was in the spare room. I have no... Oh I thought he God. was in the spare room. He was. I think he was, oh, Then she dreamed. Then she went into, like, a place of dreams about how they all belonged You know together. what? I have no doubt that I would have skim read that last night. <laughs> 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 so you <laughs> wanted to get out of the cherry orchard. Yeah, yeah, I got to the end where I was like, I get it. He's here. We've all... We've come full circle. <laughs> you know, like, the minute he turns up and we find out that he's being buried there, it's like, all right, my work is done here. <laughs> when you both looked at me with blank faces, okay. I'm like, okay, I haven't imagined that bit. <laughs> I mean, I agree that there wasn't a great deal of narrative tension and I was looking through the Goodreads reviews and I was like piercing myself because this woman called Fran Hawthorne hated this book, Eilish. 
She goes, the sole narrative tension is whether they'll get all the cherries harvested in time. <laughs> See? Which I thought, I thought was quite funny. I don't know if I agree with 100% of that, but I thought there was some truth to it. Okay. Mm. Any other weaknesses we want to table before we move on to ratings? I mean, I feel like I've <laughs> clarified a few of my weaknesses already, but I think for a book to be a exciting, engaging character study. I need to know more about the characters. I need to know more about their motivations. I need to know more about their thoughts and feelings and regrets and ideas. And I feel as though that was not developed enough for mm. me to care. Was it annoying to you that we only learned that Lara's parents essentially didn't really care much about her? Until the very end. We found that out like five. I thought we kind of had that sense earlier though because it was so close to a grandmother and the parents were never mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. I just felt like that leaving the explanation to that and being like, oh, and I have two older brothers. I'm like, what the hell? Like this is so random to put this in at five pages before the, I don't know, the last thing. I just didn't feel like I knew anyone. And then when I closed the book, I was like, what was the point of this? I don't mm. understand why this <laughs> happened. Like all these people and all these like, oh, another weakness. <laughs> Sorry. All these people and all these faces and all these names. Dude, why were there so many names in this book? Laura, Lara, Uncle Wallace had like two different names. And then Emily. So Duke called Lara Emily and then Emily is the daughter and then Emily is the person that's played in the play. This was a Meryl strength again. I normally really struggle with that, but because she was so good at all the different voices and they were so distinct from one another... I was never in doubt as to who was speaking or like who was being referenced to, but I normally hate that about a book. And I agree. If I had only read the print version, I think I would have really struggled with the different names for the same people. That's probably fair. I mean, one more strength. Zara's really good with names. I'll let everyone know that. Zara's exceptional with following names. I didn't mind the name stuff. I also quite liked learning where the girls' names came from, like Mm. Emily, Maisie and Nell. I thought that was kind of sweet. Shall we do our ratings? Let's do our ratings. Zara McDonald, we'll start with you. Oh, no, I wanted to start with Eilish. Okay. Like I said before, I feel conflicted about reading this book just because I feel like I didn't get it and I feel like we just weren't meant to be. I feel like (laughs) me and this book, this book might be the best book that's ever been written. It just wasn't written for a person Mm. like me, you know? Mm -hmm. So where does that leave me for ratings? I don't really know. If I'm talking about my own personal enjoyment of the book, I would have to say two stars. Oh my God, I'm surprised it was two. I thought you were going to give it a one. I thought you were going to give it a one. Well, I have to admit, like it was beautiful in parts. Like the writing was gorgeous. Mm. I just hated it. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite generous. That is a generous. Are you sure you don't want to downgrade to a 1.5? No, I don't because I do respect the beautiful writing. And the talent that it takes to, like, encapsulate a lot of thought and idea into a sentence. I just wish there was more of it. I'm sure Fair Anne enough. Hatchett is very grateful for that. Um, I think <laughs> I'm going to go three and a half. Yep. Solid. Like a seven out of ten for me, this book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we can't do, and I know that's a lazy rating, but it's what I feel. <laughs> I love it. Flat 2.5 for me. Wow. Mm. Uh wouldn't have finished if it weren't for this commitment I've made. But the thing <laughs> is, you sounded like you enjoyed this at least 70% more well, than Eilish. I think Eilish and I maybe have different rating barometers. I've obviously done a lot of these episodes now. I've given some books a one and I think they are definitely ones. With all the books I've done on this book club, I think a 2.5 is fair. It was so average for me. I think this is a book that in a year's time I'll be like, cherries. <laughs> That's the only thing <laughs> I'll remember. Cherries and a guy named Peter Duke. It was very slippery. I did enjoy the writing. 
I felt like Lara was a good protagonist, but it's thoroughly unmemorable. <laughs> it's kind of true, though. Like, I read this book like a month ago when it came down to sitting down this morning to prep. I was like, oh, God, I don't even remember the plot. <laughs> I had to really there is go back no plot. There is nothing. Oh. Nothing happens. Guys, <laughs> that's all we've got time for. That's all we've got time for. Thank you for listening to the January instalment of the Shameless Book Club review. Next month, we are reading Mame by Jessica George. It's fair to say that Maddie's life in London is far from rewarding. With a mother who spends most of her time in Ghana, Maddie is the primary caretaker for her father who suffers from advanced stage Parkinson's. At work, her boss is a nightmare and Maddie is tired of always being the only black person in every meeting. When her mum returns from her latest trip to Ghana, Maddie leaps at the chance to get out of the family home and start living. This is a book that explores that when tragedy strikes, Maddie has to face the true nature of her unconventional family and the perils and rewards of putting her heart on the line. We cannot wait to read Mame alongside you guys. Before then, make sure you follow us on socials. We're at The Shameless Book Club and send us some photos from where you're reading. That's it until next month, guys. See you then. Bye. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.